ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. How's it going, Father? Very well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. You are somewhere else, in an undisclosed location, a different undisclosed location. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm actually down in Florida, where every South Coast wants to go in January. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Florida with uh, Focus, Fellowship of Catholic University students at their new staff training. Uh, spending some weeks uh, as a chaplain uh, for uh, the men and women that are trained to be missionaries. Good for you. So, but it's yeah, it's where we're going to go in January, not June or July. Right, yeah. right, late June, July. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, in this episode, what Father and I are going to do is is uh, do a Q and A. We've had some questions submitted to us, um, and and we're going to go through a number of them today. But but the the fact that we have questions and we're doing a Q and A episode uh, is just a reminder to you, uh, listener, each and every one of you, that if there's any questions that you have um, that you you're curious about, why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics do that? Even if you are a Catholic, um, send them in, email them in. If you have any topics that you would like us to maybe devote an entire episode of Ignition to, uh, we're happy to, to hear your thoughts and things you'd like to, um, to hear us talk more about. And the best way to communicate with us um, is by uh, Pony Express. Go to your near... Oh, no. That's something Pony else. Pony Express. Uh, email address for me, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Uh, send your, your, your questions in. Any questions you have about things we discuss in this episode? Maybe, maybe one of the questions we're going to answer, you've, you've got a follow-up question too. Whatever it might be, um, fee- give us your feedback by emailing me, Chris, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. So, Father, should we just jump right into the questions we've got? Let's jump to the question. No need for preamble. Just go. Go. Um, so the, the first question, somebody uh, is curious, what's the difference between a cathedral and a basilica? So, Father, you know, we, we especially if we think of, of our the, the building just a few hundred feet away from me as I'm recording this, the Cathedral of St. Joseph here in Sioux Falls, um, a beautiful uh, cathedral, beautiful church building. And then we hear about things um, over in the, the Twin Cities, perhaps. There's the, um, the Cathedral of St. Paul in St. Paul. And then there's the Basilica. Uh, 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 what's the action? I forget the actual title of the Basilica. But in Minneapolis, there's a Basilica. Um, sorry, dear Minnesotans, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but Father, what, what's you know, there's a basilica, there's cathedrals. What, what what's the difference between the two? That's a good, well, the difference is the name. One's a cathedral. One's a basilica. Oh, there we go. Moving on. <laughs> so the name cathedral comes from the word cathedra. Basilica comes from the word basileia. Basileia, which is means uh, the kingdom. Okay. Or, or house of the king. So, uh, those are the Greek origins of the word. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Good. So the word cathedra and cathedral has to do with the chair. So a cathedra or cathedral is a place where the chair, the seat of authority of the bishop, uh, is found. So okay. it's his place. Okay. So it has to do, that's why at uh, many cathedrals, not all, but many cathedrals, there's an idea of a special seat that's just for uh, the uh, reigning bishop. Right, right. So 
Bishop Swain has a Bishop Swain has a reserve seat in St. Joseph's Cathedral. Yes, he did not pay for it. Well, actually, I guess he went. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yes, he does have a reserve seat in St. Joseph's Cathedral. So when uh, other priests say Mass at the Cathedral, they don't sit in that seat. Right. Yeah. You'll you'll never see another another priest sit in the cathedra, the the bishop's chair, until Bishop Swain retires. Correct. And the new bishop will sit in that seat. Yep. Or for without a bishop for a while, Bishop Swain should retire, and we have a uh, uh, apostolic administrator, another bishop who's helping to oversee. He could use that seat. Right. Right. Or if the pope came, he could use that seat. Okay. So it has. So just to be clear here, it the, the the cathedral refers to the fact that it's the church where the bishop's seat, the bishop's chair, the symbol of his authority resides. It has nothing to do with the architecture of said church. Correct. It doesn't have to do with any particular architectural style. Right. Right. So you can see, you see, you will if you if you just the the diocese in the United States. If you go, many of them are similar. Many of them have what we feed, what many people think of it is the cathedral style, but but the the word cathedral uh, has nothing has nothing to do with the particular architectural style. Correct. Okay. And then um, we have uh, the basilica, the basilea, which has to do with. Uh, kingdom Hall, and that comes from an old um, Greek uh, phrase, and under the, the Roman Empire, which spoke Greek uh, for many years, where they would speak of having a, uh, there'd be certain buildings, which would be buildings of the emperor, Basileia being the kingdom. Right. Uh, and so they'd have these special, like, little outposts, if you will, in other towns, where people know it was the king's hall. And so basilica is an honorary title for a church, and a basilica could be a cathedral. What do you well, explain that? What do you, wait, 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 what? Say that again. What? So, so it's an honorary title. It's, it, well, maybe can I use an analogy before I explain that? Please. Okay, uh, a basilica is like a priest that's a monsignor. Okay. So monsignor is uh, is he's not more of a priest than I am. I mean, he might be a personal <laughs> virtue, but, um, or my lack thereof. But uh, he's not more of a priest. He can't do more priestly things that I can't. Monsignor is an honorary title, saying that he's a chaplain of the papal household. Right, right. Okay. A uh, basilea is an honorary title for a church building, Catholic church building, that it is honored to be uh, associated with the Pope. Right, that that there's the Pope has given this a special place of dignity or honor. Just as you said, just as a Monsignor, a priest is elevated to the rank of Monsignor has a special honor um, because of that. So too does a church that's become a basilica have a special honor. Ding. And so even a cathedral might be elevated to be a basilica. So okay. in Denver, Colorado, uh, where I spent years in formation, the cathedral there is a basilica. There you go. Okay. So they and they refer to it as the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. Right. Now this is where both a cathedra and it also has been honored to be called a basilica. And the, and things can get a little bit sticky here because basilica also can refer to an architectural style. Um, again, going back to the Roman roots, where you have a central nave and then side aisles. So the Cathedral of Saint Joseph, its architectural style is of the architectural style of a basilica, but it is not a basilica in the sense of that having that 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 special dignity granted to it by by the Pope. So Correct. it's not a 
Roman basilica. Right, right. So, so there can be some confusion because basilica can refer to the architectural style. So you have to be careful uh, when somebody says, "Well, is this a basilica?" Uh, well, in what sense do you mean? You have to distinguish the, between the two senses, the, the different senses of the word. So, right. Okay. Anything else on on that distinction between cathedral and basilica, Father? Oh, I think that would be the main one. Yeah, I think so. I agree. So related to that, this was a, uh, uh, well, kind of a follow-up question. Um, the, the question as is, and then we'll explain it. The question, why don't rectors do much when the bishop is at mass? So with the, the question there was asking about uh, every cathedral, the the pastor, in a sense, for the cathedral is the bishop. It's his, again, it's... it's, it's Exactly. It's, he, it's the mother church of the diocese. It's the, 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 the bishop's church. However, uh, bishops have many responsibilities with the diocese. They're not always there for Sunday Mass and so on. So typically, most, not every, but most cathedrals, um, ha- most bishops appoint a rector of their cathedral. So the rector is sort of like the pastor, but he does not have the same role as the pastor because, again, the, the pastor for a cathedral is is the bishop. Um, so, so a rector is, is uh, I don't know, like the prime minister, so to speak. Um, he, he's the right-hand man of the bishop when it comes to uh, providing pastoral care for the cathedral church. So that's, Father, is that, do you think that's a good summary of the role of a rector generally? Would, or anything you want to add to that? Oh, just to stand in the place of the bishop, and some of the bishops there, they don't need to stand in the place. Exactly. So that's why, you know, if if, um, if you've ever attended Mass at a cathedral, um, whether it's Cathedral of St. Joseph or any other, and, 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 and the bishop is there celebrating, oftentimes the rector is also there, uh, but he, he, he play, pray, plays a role, he pr- does also prays, analogous to as, as a con-celebrating priest. Um, so he doesn't have, he's not the main celebrant. If the bishop is there, he is the main celebrant for the Mass. Anything else? Anything you can think of, Father? I think that co- but covers that question as well. That's about it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to jump down here, just like a couple questions. Why is St. Joseph called blessed in the Eucharistic prayer? So this is something, you know, when you read the Eucharistic prayer, um, and Father, you might know it off the top of your head. I'll give you a moment here as I'm blabbering on to, to have it handy. But when we, the second half of the Eucharistic prayer, after the consecration, there's there's reference to Mary and the saints, and there's res- reference to blessed St. Joseph, or blessed, yeah, I think blessed St. Joseph, her spouse. Is that how it goes, Father? Is that what, am I right about that? Uh, blessed Joseph, her spouse. Blessed Joseph, spouse. So the question, well, isn't Joseph a saint? Why are we now calling, has he been demoted? Um, and, and the question is not literally asking that, but it, it might sound that way because he's being referred to under the title of blessed as opposed to saint. So why, why do we do that? Why do we refer to uh, Joseph and some of the other saints, I think, in the Eucharistic prayer as blessed as opposed to their, their quote-unquote proper rank of saint? How would you respond to that question, Father? Well, uh, the saints, I mean, it's, it's, well, for one thing, we call Joseph blessed because he's happy. Yes. I'm going to think of the Beatitudes, and blessed are you, right? Yep. Uh, also, we refer to the Blessed Virgin Mary, don't we? You, yes, we do. You just demote her? Ex- no, we didn't. No, we did not. And so, this isn't a military rank, and like they're not upset when you, like, call them differently. The differentiation uh, between blessed and a saint is that a blessed is only on the, is only a uh, for the observance of the local church, usually, right? Okay. 
So straight, so like uh, blessed, uh, po- blessed uh, Cardinal Newman. Uh, is it really on the universal calendar for all churches to pay attention to? Because he's more just for where he lived and worked, and for those with particular particular attachments to him, such as a Newman Center. Right. Okay. Uh, but when you're a saint, then you're elevated uh, to the uh, full dignity of the altar, and you are observed universally. Okay. In the universal canon. So that's just that distinction. But other than that, really, blessed and saint mean the same thing. They're both. Uh, uh, in heavenly blessedness. Right. So, and I think the way you initially put it, he's happy. He's 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 blessed in that sense. So, blessed Virgin Mary, blessed Joseph, her spouse. Um, not not demoting either of them, just expressing another way the state of beatitude, uh, blessedness which they enjoy in heaven. Um, another question, Father, and I, I've, I've heard this one. Uh, in fact, this was raised more than once, uh, was sent in more, submitted more than once. Why do some people wear head coverings in church? Um, isn't that a pre-Vatican II teaching? So I think, Father, one of the first things that, that by, to set the context, the stage for answering this question, is the distinction between doctrine and discipline or, or custom. Um, you know, th- th- there's there's, there's teachings of the church, the doctrines of the church, the things that we are called to believe as Catholics. So think of maybe the, the, the contents of sacred scripture, the catechism of the Catholic church. Um, that, that, that's, those are the doctrines that we believe in. Um, then there are the, the customs, the disciplines, the practices uh, but, but that, that we externally use, so to speak, that can change from time to time that are not teachings. Um, so I think a, a good example related to Vatican II um, or also around the type of Vatican II, is the language that we use at Mass. Prior, of course, prior to Vatican II, um, in, in the quote-unquote Latin rite of the Roman Catholic Church, of the Catholic Church, Mass was... quote-unquote like it's not real. Uh, well, it's technically there is technically not a right in 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 the Roman Church of the Catholic Church. Right. Um, mass was said in Latin. Of course, today it's said in the vernacular, the local language. Uh, so that, so that's it. But that was not a, that's not a change in church teaching. There was no formal church teaching that uh, we were held to believe that mass is said in Latin. That was a church practice or discipline that the church can change. So the church can't change church teaching, but the, because the teachings we come from God, but the practices is the disciplines can change. So so Latin... And no longer using Latin in the Mass. The Church isn't saying Latin's dead. I mean, the Church still uses Latin all the time for her documents, her official publications. The mass, the, and like you, we use a translation of the Mass still. It's written in Latin. We just translate it. Exactly. So Latin isn't dead as a language. And then there's nothing to stop a priest from... It, I mean, some priests I know will celebrate, you know, sometimes on occasion a weekday Mass, uh, or even Sunday Masses in some parishes, I don't think in our diocese, but will celebrate the Mass as we know it today, but they will celebrate it, 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 say it in Latin. The prayers are... They say the prayers in Latin. So, yeah. Maybe to bring some solemnity and also just to remind us to ourselves of our roots. Exactly. Just, you know, very few people complain about uh, native uh, populations learning their native customs. Exactly. We should still learn our uh, customs and roots and be aware of that. Exactly. So, so the, again, that's a change not in teaching. You know, uh, that the, there are three persons in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is an example, obviously, of teaching. God became right. man in Jesus Christ. That's a teach, teaching. The language of the Mass is a discipline, um, right. not a teaching. And the same, so that applies as well to the practice of, uh, of, 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 
especially typically it's women um, covering uh, the, their their head. Yeah, yes, you're right, exclusively covering the head during Mass. It's, it, it actually has scriptural roots. St. Paul refers to the, this practice, encourages it even in Scripture, of women covering their hair um, in, in basically in church. And so that was a—I'm not sure, Father, when that became widespread, if it was very early on, if it's more medieval, um, after the Council of Trent. But certainly by the mid-20th century, at least in the United States, it was common practice—well, in other places— as well, it was common practice for for women to to wear a veil um, to cover their their heads during or hat, or hat yes, uh, to 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 cover their heads during mass. After Vatican II, there was less emphasis on that custom. So just as the language of the mass changed, but Latin was not forbidden, so too was there less emphasis on this custom, this discipline, this practice of covering one's head uh, if, if you're a woman uh, during mass. Not forbidden. And that's why we still see it, but not not the not the norm. Just as the Latin at mass is not forbidden, but it's not the norm. And in some ways, I think maybe people ask that question. Maybe they, I I don't think I ever remember seeing a head covering growing up. I feel like I've seen them more in the past, maybe ten, fifteen years or so. Um, about still growing up in those fifteen years, um, <laughs> but not, not, not when I was a child. But I think part of that, I think there's an attractiveness to it, in a sense, um, that uh, there's an attractiveness to veiling and the idea of modesty, dignity of women, and I think women are in some ways being attracted to it again. Right. For the reason, especially in our over-sexualized culture, uh, our culture that is uh, becoming more and more pornographic. Yep, yep. But again, it's a discipline. So one need it's it, it's the, don't draw the wrong conclusion that uh, just because uh, there's a woman who doesn't wear a hat or a veil that she's all those other things that Father just said, right? Right. Yep. Right. And so just to to recover that sense of sacredness and her dignity that she is something precious. You know, and one of the things that people uh, will point out about veiling is that we veil precious things at mass. We don't veil horrible things. We veil the precious things. So there's a veil over the chalice, right? Yep. There's uh, a veil, uh, there can be a veil in the tabernacle. There can be a veil on Father's hands when he uh, blesses with the Holy Eucharist outside of Mass. Uh, altar servers who carry the insignia of the bishop, his mitre and his crozier, put veils on their hands as well. Right, yep. So that idea of veiling precious things, right. I think that's in part of that restoring the dignity of the, this desire to restore feminine dignity. What are you saying about the men in the congregation, Father? I'm saying we're rough and tumble. Oh. <laughs> we're not just, we're not, are, are we not precious in the sight of the Lord? You are precious. You are precious. <laughs> oh, good. I was concerned there for a moment. <laughs> precious. Anyway, uh, anything else about this question, Father, that you think is worth uh, uh-huh. noting? I'm sure we missed something and maybe offended someone, but I think we're good. We hope not. Um, so this next question was submitted to us, as will be clear, uh, during um, Lent. Uh, why do we go through the Passion on Palm Sunday and then go backward in time on Holy Thursday to the Last Supper and then go forward again through the Passion? So if you think back as we're recording this, um, oh, eight, 10, 12 weeks ago, um, to this year when we were celebrating Holy Week. So on, on Palm Sunday, we have the, the, uh, the, the proclamation, the gospel reading, is the passion narrative. 
Um, and but then if you attend mass throughout the the Triduum, the sacred three days, um, Holy Thursday with the Mass of the Lord's Supper, uh, Good Friday with the the Passion Liturgy, the uh, Good Friday Liturgy, and um, well, especially those two in particular, this question is getting at. We go from we go from the reading of the Passion on Palm Sunday, but then at the Mass of the Lord's Supper, we back up some 12 to 18 hours and are back in the upper room for the Last Supper. And then on Good Friday, we go forward again with the the uh, the, the, the reading again of the Passion. This time from, it's on Good Friday, it's always the reading from John's Gospel, the, John's account of the Passion. The Sunday before, it, it's part of the lectionary cycle, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, um, are, depending which year we're in. Uh, this year we're in year A, which is Matthew. So we heard Matthew's pa- Passion account on Holy on Palm Sunday, but then every Good Friday we hear John's. So why do we back up in time, so to speak, for Holy Thursday, Father? Uh, good question. First of all, because um, the uh, Holy Thursday and Good Friday are not holy days of obligation. Exactly. And so we get the full passion on Palm Sunday, and for those who by their devotion wish to purify themselves, make them uh, more, uh, and to grow in their relationship with Christ our Lord, participate in the fullness of the sacred triduum, then they experience them on their chronological order. Exactly. So, so if you think if you just go to what's obligatory, that would be Palm Sunday, and then and then Easter Sunday, or, or the Easter Vigil, perhaps. So, so the church wants to make sure that that everybody who goes to mass on the obligatory days hears the account of the Passion. So, Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, as it's also sometimes called, we hear the the, the reading of the Passion. But the next obligatory liturgy um, is the Easter Vigil or Easter Sunday morning, at which we hear, of course, about the the rest resurrection. Uh, and yet for those, as Father was saying, those who want to enter in into the Triduum more fully will hear the accounts proper to Holy Thursday and Good Friday. Yes. Anything else to add to that question, do you think? Not that I can think of. Okay. So this next question begins by referencing uh, a passage in Matthew's gospel, or Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 11, verse 24. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and you will. So that's, there's a passage, and then the questioner asks, or says, Someone once told me that we should not keep asking for the same thing in prayer, um, as then we, we're doubting that Jesus has done what he said. So, Father, when, and I get this question in other forms as well. Um, you know, if, if we're supposed to trust in Jesus, why do we persist in asking for certain things? Why would we continue? If Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you'll receive it, and you will. So, really, shouldn't we just ask for something once and just trust? whatever God's will is? How, how do you respond to that one? Well, I think a couple things. Um, you know, that uh, uh, Jesus also sometimes wants to test our faith and to make our faith stronger, and so sometimes we, we pray for something we don't receive what we think is an answer. Um, uh, uh, he wants us to continue to pray. So I think of the story of the Syrophoenician woman, from Mark's Gospel right, as well. Right, You've heard that story. So I'm not remembering the passage explicitly, but there's a woman who comes to Jesus and says, uh, and she's not a, a Jew, she's not a descendant of Abraham, and she says, you know, Master, my daughter is sick at home. And says, sir, you know, get off. What are you doing? And she says, no, please. And he says, listen, lady, uh, it's not right to give scraps to the dog. Uh, the food meant for ch- It's not right to give food meant for children to the dogs. 
And she responds, yes, but sometimes even scraps fall from the master's uh, table uh, to the dogs. And Jesus responds, woman, great is your faith. And so as she endures and perseveres in faith, again, through this testing, Jesus rewards her faith and is rejoicing in her faith. Right. And there's even other times where, where, where Jesus teaches that we should persist in prayer. And the parable of the woman and the unjust judge, she keeps knocking, 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 and finally the judge gets fed up and, and grants her request. Um, Jesus uses that explicitly to talk about how we ought to persist in our prayer as well. So I, I think, Father, I understand the question in the sense that, well, but if we ask it, He's either going to grant it or not. Um, we should just accept that. I understand that, but it, but we have to remember that Jesus also says, uh, the example you just gave, the example of the parable of the woman and the unjust judge, we are called to persevere in prayer as well. Right. Anything else about uh, that question? No, I don't think so. Okay, the other... Keep praying, uh, pray with faith. Say again? Keep praying and pray with faith. Exactly. The next, there are two questions here that are related, and they both talk about what we're basically supposed to do with our hands during the Our Father as the congregation. So one question, is it, is it okay to hold hands with those next to us during the Our Father? And the second question, what is the proper posture of hands during the Our Father? Uh, and Father, for me, with, with these questions, um, I, I usually say, you know, I, I, what I'm, I preface the answer by saying, I'm going to give you my understanding of what the church teaches or what's consonant, what what, what it's consistent with church teaching, um, but we shouldn't get too oh, obsessed with some. Sometimes, from personal experience, I've gotten obsessed about things that aren't as essential, as necessary, as important. Um, I simply try to present now what the church teaches um, and encourage people to follow that and not to get too hung up on it. Is that a fair well, I, preface? And, and, and one of the things we'll reference, I think, indirectly in this case, is the germ, the general instruction of their own missile, and it does allow some leeway. Yeah. So, so basically, and we've got about a, a minute and a half, and maybe sometime in the future we'll come back to this question, but um, with holding hands, you know, basically the church doesn't, doesn't mandate one particular thing for us to do with our hands. So some people will, will, as a sign of communion, intimacy, friendship, hold hands with those next to them. My, my caution is, okay, if it's your family member or whatever, that's, I, I, I understand that. Um, don't, though, uh, don't force yourself. A, it might, somebody next to you who you don't know they might not be comfortable with that. And so just being respectful of how other people pray, uh, I think that, that's something to keep in mind if, if that's your personal preference. And the Mass is a beautiful blend, uh, blend of personal and public. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's public in the sense that we're doing it together, but at the same time it's still personal. So, do, is so is there, if you're bad, and they might not be attentive to you because they're lost in their own prayer, and you might be disrupting their prayer. And, yeah. So is there, a, is there a proper posture, do you think, for the congregation to, of hands during their father? I thought you proposed one at the beginning of our preparation. Yeah, and I just think just folding your hands. I mean, if you're not sure what to do, just the traditional practice of folding your hands together is, is what I recommend. Not, now, some people want to raise their hands, um, sort of mimicking the, the posture of the priest. That's something that, that we're not called to do because of the difference between the priest and the people. But 
Father, on that happy note, that wraps up this episode, the Q&A episode of Ignition. Um, again, I want to encourage you, if you have questions, if you have follow-up questions on anything we discussed today, email me, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. You can also find past episodes of Ignition online at the uh, diocesan website for Sioux Falls. That's www.sfcatholic.org. Uh, look for the media files and then audio files within there, and you'll find all the past episodes for your listening pleasure. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.